as I've learned about attachment and love, I've wondered, how does it affect learning? So I asked a professional in both fields to come on the podcast and talk to me about it today. You're going to hear a conversation between me and Dr. Russell Oscarthorpe about learning, attachment, and the connection, and how as parents, we can nurture an attachment so our children can learn better. You're listening to Simple Wonders, the podcast for parents who want to raise happy, curious, lifelong learners. Hi, I'm your host, Jessica Smith, certified family life educator and mama of three. Join me as we explore simple tools to nurture your child's heart and mind. All right, today we are going to be talking with Dr. Russell Osgothorpe. He taught at Brigham Young University for multiple years. He holds multiple degrees from BYU, including a PhD in instructional psychology. He is a former director for of the Center of Teaching and Learning and a professor in the Department of Instructional Psychology and Technology at BYU. He is a former general president of the Sunday School for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He's also an author and has written multiple books, including Filled with His Love, which I read and was so inspired by, I wanted to interview him and pick his brain about attachment and learning. Welcome, Dr. Osgothorpe. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm so excited to get into this. So can you tell me, um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with the word attachment, but can you define it just so we're all on the same page? Sure. I read the other day, by the way, an article that said that attachment theory is now one of the pillars of psychological study and theory. So um, years ago, uh, this was in the 1960s, there were two scientists in England, Bowlby and Ainsworth. They developed this theory. They were developing it basically with infants, very young children, and their parents. Watching parents, they, they did a lot of observation of parents and how they interacted with their children. And then they they started to categorize some of the behaviors of children and parents. And then they came up eventually with attachment theory. So the way I explain it, the very quickest way to say it is we can have a healthy attachment, which is a secure, safe attachment, a lasting, enduring attachment with our children and with each other as spouses. Or we can have an anxious attachment or an avoidant attachment. There's also what is called an um, anxious avoidant attachment where these two things mix. So uh, I won't go into it too much more than that, but if you picture on the, I've got a little chart in my book that shows how on the top is self-worth. This makes me think of the statement of, I am a daughter of God and of infinite worth. You remember this mm -hmm. yes. statement? I have infinite worth. I like this better than self-esteem. I, I like the idea of, I am a child of God, and I have infinite worth. When children feel a lot of self-worth, then they can feel secure and safe in their attachment. And then on the other side of this chart, I have sociability. How, how much, how eager are they to interact with others. When when people have a high degree of sociability, they want to connect. They want to have relationships. And when they have a low degree of sociability, they want to avoid relationships. And so that's where avoidance comes in. So 
Is that a quick enough? Yes, overview? that's perfect. Okay. Yes. So there's, yeah, there's varying degrees. There's secure, um, yeah. which I love how you mentioned self-worth. They like, I remember reading also that children gain their self-worth, not from being praised all the time or not from um, achieving certain things, but from their relationship with their parents. Uh-huh. Okay. okay. Uh-huh. Um, so what inspired you to learn more about attachment? I think it was mainly from my church service. Um, I've served in the church in a variety of positions. And so often I've seen um, young marrieds or parents and children with relationship problems. Sometimes this leads to divorce. Sometimes it leads to parent-child discord and difficulties and a lot of misery, basically. And so oftentimes those people, members of the church, would come to me and say, how can I correct this? How can I make things better? Because I have a bad relationship with my child or I have a bad relationship with my spouse. And so I started studying this because it, and it, it gave me answers. Uh, attachment theory, of course, is not the end all of all theories. No, no theory is. And it doesn't explain everything. But it explains so much of what I had to deal with as a church leader that I didn't understand at the time I was counseling people. And so when I came across it, and this was, well, this was a number of years ago, probably a decade ago, um, I found that there was so much more research on it than I had thought. When I was being trained as a psychologist, it was hardly mentioned. And attachment theory now, as I say, has become a pillar, a core theory in psychology. And it really helps us when we look at relationships and people's difficulties and troubles with relationships, it helps us look at what is going on in that relationship so that we can correct it, so that we can improve our attachment style, they call it, and have a healthy attachment style instead of a negative one. Okay. I, might, I might add that in the beginning, they were just looking at parent-child relationships, but then more recently, they've looked at adult relationships to adults and how they relate to each other. And then they've also... Um, some people have looked at, I mean, I've done a lot with this in the book. Um, so I say what we need to do is strengthen our attachment to God first. The stronger attachment we have with God, the better our relationships will be with each other. So, uh, and, But there's research on the attachment theory with uh, deity as well from other religions. So this is ongoing and for me has always been quite fascinating because relationships for me are kind of the most important thing in mortality. Yes. yes. In your book, you mentioned that, and maybe I'm, I hope I'm quoting this right, but love learning to have relationships is the point of being on earth. I it mean, is. like, like learning how to relate to others and form relationships, learning to love as Christ loved. Yes. That was really powerful. It's um, so much, even, even this morning when we were reading in Hosea, Hosea was comparing, um, God was comparing his relationship with Israel with marriage. Mm. And so um, when a marriage is faltering and unhealthy, then you have misery and difficulties and sadness. And Hosea comes back and says, but you know, you're going to come back to me, Israel. You're going to have a secure, healthy attachment and things mm. are going to be good. Uh, you just have to feel my love, but you can't feel my love Lord is really saying, how can you feel my love if you don't try 
to draw close to me. You've got to try to draw close to me. And then you'll feel my love because it's infinite and everlasting. Yes, that's beautiful. So you mentioned that church um, was kind of the starting point when you started to really dig into attachment theory. And I feel like there's a lot of secular evidence um, for attachment theory. Um, and we're getting more and more every day. But what have you seen from the scriptures and like more spiritual, like eternal evidence, or maybe they both intermix um, those two. Um, so what, what have you seen from the scriptures to support or to talk about attachment and love? You know, I've been thinking about when, when you look at the school of the prophets and the scripture in uh, the Doctrine and Covenants says, and when you greet your brethren when they come into the classroom, basically, to be taught, salute them and say, art thou a brother or brethren? I salute you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What that says to me is, over everything else, the relationship between teacher and learner is important. We start out by saying, I'm here to learn with you. I'm here to be a teacher, but I'm here to learn with you. And we are all in this together. Uh, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're all trying to learn what we need to learn so that we can return home to our Heavenly Father. So, And then just the other day, uh, this happened on Friday night. I'm a sealer in the temple, and I had this wonderful session, actually, with uh, a number of, I think we had 11 people in the sealing room, which isn't typical. We usually have around six. Mm -hmm. But we had, um, I think, uh, seven elders and four sisters. They were all returned missionaries from the same mission. They decided to come together to do a sealing session. And I asked them how they got that started, and they talked about how their mission president encouraged this, and I thought, what a great mission president. And on the way out, I was talking with one of the young men, and he said, you know, Brother Osgothorpe, it's like that scripture in Alma, where Alma meets the sons of Mosiah, and he says, my joy was full to meet them, meet them on this path. He kind of ran into them unexpectedly. And then he said, but what added to my joy was they were still brethren in the Lord. It's a powerful scene to me because they were all missionaries together. They were sent the, to the Lamanites together to preach the gospel. And he's saying they kept their strong relationship with the Lord all the time we'd been separated, because they'd been separated for years. And when they came together again, he said, oh, you've stayed true to the faith. <laughs> we are all still brethren or sisters, we might say, in the Lord. Um, this is the power of attachment. They had this, this brotherly attachment, sons of Mosiah, and they kept that attachment strong and growing as they served in the church. Another example, uh, if you have a moment. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, we just returned from a, what is called a three temple tour. We went to the London, Paris, and Rome temples, and we were the educators on the tour. And so uh, when you look at what happened in the early history of the church, very early, so this is 1837, Joseph had the inspiration to call uh, Heber C. Kimball and some others to go to England and start the work in England. And then in 1839, they went back and 
this time he sent all the 12 who were faithful. There were three of them who were not faithful, and they kind of fell away. But the nine who went on that mission in 1839 became basically the core leaders of the church. John Taylor became prophet. Uh, Wilford Woodruff became prophet eventually. They became the leaders after even after Brigham Young passed away. So um, that mission was critical. They kind of hung together. They created a bond between them. And that bond between them and God meant that they baptized so many people, brought so many people into the church. Uh, in 1851, I learned, I didn't know this before, studying this, we had uh, 33,000 members of the church in England in 1851 and 12,000 in Utah. Wow. Yeah. So wow, I didn't Elder, know that. Elder Holland said, basically, we weren't a Utah church. We were a British church. Everybody thought we were a Utah church in the U.S., um, but we were a British church. We had three times as many members in England as we had in Utah. Yeah, wow. So, and that was even with a, that was even with a lot of British people immigrating. So, again, so much to do with attachment, being attached mm-hmm. firmly to God, even in the face of so many trials. They kept their faith in God, and that meant that they could grow stronger together as families, husband, wife, children, and parents. Yeah, that's fascinating. I did, I hadn't thought of that, that there were so many more members there yeah. um, than here. And I, I have surprising. A, lot of, <laughs> a lot of ancestors that came from there. And I'm like, I, yeah, I'm thinking, wow, most of them came over here and they were all being yeah. baptized over there. Um, yeah. So you, yeah, you mentioned our relationship with God and like strengthening that and strengthening between, between us. What I've noticed with my own research is it really comes down to authority and, and attachment. There's like kind of this delicate balance between them or they're they're in they're connected. Right. And so how in your opinion and what you've seen, or how is our attachment with our earthly parents? Um, how does that affect our attachment with God and our view of him and his authority and yeah. love? There's there's been a lot of research on this, actually. And what they find is when children have a poor relationship with their father, it makes it much more difficult for them to form a healthy, close attachment with God. In other words, because in the home, maybe that father was a, a an authority figure. And so, and maybe the father was either distant from the children or abusive or whatever. And I think in the book, I, I give one example of where my friend went to help with uh, children who had, uh, and youth who had difficulty with behavior problems. And he gave a little message about how they were all children of God. And he said they just did not relate to it at all. And the therapist came up afterwards and said, well, basically all of these children were abused by fathers. So it's hard for them to picture God as being a wonderful, uh, you know, overarching figure in their life when the earthly figure in their life was so uh, desperately uh, problematic and difficult for them. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's one thing. And that doesn't explain all attachment, of course. I mean, some some people can have 
good attachment with their parents and still have a problem with God eventually. But there's no question that the relationship that children have with their parents can make it easier or more difficult to believe in God and to be close to him. Along the lines with that, um, how is parental authority affected by our attachment? So, um, for example, I know at certain ages, I mean, some things are just personality or they're going through a stage. um, But if you're seeing like a lot of defiance or I'm not going to do this, I don't, I'm not listening to you. um, How is that defiance or, or resistance to authority? How is that affected by our attachment with our kids? Yeah. So when there's resistance and sometimes even belligerence uh, on the part of children, I remember as a deacon's quorum advisor one time, I had a, I had one of my deacons was absolutely belligerent. He was, he was uh, resistant to me as an advisor. He was also resistant to other children. He was the picture of avoidant relationships. I mean, he did not want to connect with anybody really, but he, he came because his parents made him come to church. He came to the deacon's quorum. So one day I said to him, um, I won't give his name, but I, I said to him, I just want to come talk to you for a little while. And so I went to his home and we went outside and started uh, throwing a ball back and forth to each other and just started talking. And I said, you, you got some anger in there, right? And it's, it's kind of, it comes out quite a bit. I said, what, what's causing, what, you know, is causing your anger? And he immediately said, my parents, they argue all the time. They hate each other. They are, they're just at each other's throats all the time. (laughs) He went on and on. And I said, okay. I said, that helps me, you know? So I understand a little bit more now about what's going on with you in your life. And so we're going to have to work with that. I mean, he needed, he needed some therapy himself. His folks needed therapy. They eventually got divorced, but um, their relationship with each other was causing extreme difficulty and extreme resistance from him. How could he, in a sense, feel love from them and feel trust from them when they were not trusting or loving each other? And and they didn't have much at that point to give, you know, to um, to that child. So uh, I think things got better later on, but that was with a lot of help. So what, yeah. I mean, we have kind of talked about a little bit about the benefits, but I'd like to go more into like, how does a good attachment benefit learning for children, either learning at home or at school. Yeah. So, I mean, the teacher-student relationship at school is very important, and the teacher, or the parent-child relationship at home is also extremely important. Um, when our attachments are healthy, secure, and safe, they talk a lot about the safe classroom, you know, for teachers to make a safe classroom. A safe classroom is where yeah. students can say what they're really feeling, what they believe what they um, are experiencing as learners. And an unsafe classroom is where somebody gets uh, called out for saying something or punished or uh, all kinds of things for not okay. uh, learning what they're supposed to learn, uh, wrapped on the hands as they used to in the last century and well, the 
two centuries ago, really, uh, they missed a math fact. They got wrapped on the fingers with a ruler, you know? I mean, um, this is not a safe classroom. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, And that doesn't happen now, but sometimes we do it figuratively or kind of Mm -hmm. um, symbolically in a way by the way we react to people. Yes, absolutely. I was thinking how, I was thinking how if, if a student in a classroom feels that the teacher believes that, that he or she is an annoyance, that they annoy the teacher because of the way they talk or the way they behave or whatever. If they feel like an annoyance, they become more annoying. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, and if the child feels like an annoyance to parents, because parents are always talking negatively to them, that's why I think the, one of the main things to establish a healthy attachment style is getting rid of negative talk. And and I mean negative self-talk and negative crosstalk, talk from parent to child or from child to parent. Um, and same thing in a classroom. When when negative talk gets going, even with self, you know, when when I say to myself, well, I'm, I'm just not no good. I, I don't do what I should do. I'm I'm not as good as the person next to me or whatever. Um, this has no good outcome. All this negative talk has negative outcomes and it makes people less capable, less um, eager to learn, less eager to risk, uh, all of those things because they're constantly talking themselves down. And teachers and parents can also be negative. I had a missionary uh, when I was mission president who said, every day when I woke up, my father told me I was a loser. I said, well, how did you, how did you ever make it on a mission? (laughs) I said, how did you get up the gumption to grow up in a situation like that? And he said, I just finally, I had to ignore it, you know, but it had affected him. There's no question it had affected him and difficult to overcome a long-term what I would say, abusive relationship, verbally abusive relationship from a parent. So uh, it's just so critical. If we want our children to learn, to grow, um, when you said that you wanted um, to talk about how we can have our home a center for learning, um, when one of our children uh, bought a home, this is in McLean, Virginia, they had a patio kind of deck thing, and they decided to uh, enclose that and make it learning center. They called it a learning oh, center. How cool. Each child had kind of a separate space. It was kind of a counter around the whole thing, but each child had a space for their computer and their uh, stuff uh, that they would use to study. And then there was an easel in the middle of the room where uh, children could draw and paint. There were things on the floor where they could use to build things and create things. And it was so in that home, learning was so emphasized about what that communicated, you know, when they, when they built that, I thought how unique that you would even call this a learning center, you know? Yeah. And, but they did it because in what, of course they wanted their children to become good learners, which they all did. But one thing that it did also was it communicated we love you as children. We love you enough to help you learn. We trust you. We have confidence in you that you can learn. You, be, you can become good independent learners on your own accord. Uh, all kinds of great things were communicated by that. 
Whereas if a, if a parent says, you know, I don't really like to read myself. I don't like books. I don't like, well, that says a lot to the children too. You know, I don't like to experiment. I don't like to create things. I don't like to build. I don't like to draw. I don't like to think about math. Yeah. You know? And, and so uh, this has the opposite effect and it turns kids off to learning. And so they're not as eager to do All they want to do is play what they want to play, play video games yeah. or whatever that might be. And when um, parents are the other way, I, I remember the same family, they were in England for a while, and the mother took us to this museum of natural history in London. And she gave each of her children a pad of paper and a pencil and said, okay, we're just going to sit here on the stairs and you can sketch whatever you want to sketch. So, you know, this is, I thought, well, what a great learning thing. And they all sketched really nice things. And so again, it's saying to the child, I believe that you can Mm -hmm. do this. I believe that you can become a good artist if that's what you want to become. If if not, then you can uh, enjoy uh, creating a piece of art, whether it becomes great or not. This whole thing of communicating to children that we have great confidence in their learning ability and that when they make mistakes, uh, we say, oh, that's okay. And we just do it again. And when they say, well, I'm not good at math. I'm not good at math. I'm, I'm terrible. At, I'm terrible at science. I don't like, I don't like foreign language. I can't do that. Then when they say things like that, we say, oh, you, you don't like it yet. Mm-hmm. You're not good at it yet, Yeah. <laughs> but, but you will be, you can yeah. be, you could be, you could be very good at this. But maybe right now you need to make some progress. That's okay. But don't say that's because that other thing is just negative talk that doesn't help us when people talk themselves down or uh, talk others down. Yeah, that, those are great. I I think that it's such a good reminder that we need to keep positive talk and especially not feeling annoyed. There have been so many times when I'm reading scriptures with my kids and they're inserting their own silly words and I'm like, <gasps> Kids can be, t- no, kids can be tough, you know? Yeah, it is. I mean, that, that's why I said I got so exasperated with that that kid in my deacon's quorum. I had to say, okay, I can't go on like this. I, I, I can't have you come into classroom every week and just kind of turn it into a horror show. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it was not good. Uh, the kids wanted to get away from him. He was abusive to them. It, I thought, I've got to figure this out. I, and so all he really had to do was listen to him and let him know that I was uh, understanding him because his parents weren't understanding yeah. him very well. And certainly his peers did not understand him. And they didn't have the capacity, I don't think, to really grasp it. You know, they didn't, if, if they were from a healthy home, they couldn't figure out what this home where the parents were at odds with each other. They didn't, couldn't figure out what was going on there. Yeah. So, and it and sounds like the attachment between parents just, really affects the quality of the attachment between a child and the parent. You know, it's not like an island. Here's my good attachment to my child, but here's a terrible attachment between me and my spouse. It all kind of affects one another, it sounds like. In addition to that, what are some ways that parents can create the type of environment in their home or like strengthen their attachment in their children um, to make learning easier at home and at school? So 
I think we have to even, we have to consciously think about nurturing the relationship. When the relationship uh, has a little problem with it, and sometimes that can come up, that, that comes up with every parent and every child. There are difficult moments when neither one understands the other very well. And so to nurture the relationship, and you've mentioned this already several times uh, in this podcast, listen, 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 listen. Sometimes they can't articulate what's bugging them, but still we have to invite them to try. Try to tell me what's going on. What is happening with you? Uh, you were angry at your sister. You just beat your brother over the head with a two by four. Uh, I, I don't know what it, <laughs> it <can> uh, <laughs> What? It can happen. So what caused it? Why did you do that? And now what are we going to do? We, In our home as our children were growing up, if there were difficulties between siblings, we'd say, okay, there was a fight or whatever. We'd say, oh, well, you know what Mosiah says? We are not to fight and quarrel one with another. <laughs> so so parents, we're not, we're not allowed to have you do that. So you come and sit. We called it the, the mad chair. They come and sit in the timeout chair. And another one comes and sits in the other chair. And we say, as soon as you can apologize and give each other a hug and tell your brother or sister that you love them, then you can get out of this chair, but not until then. Uh, and it has to be sincere. It can't just be, oh, yeah, I love you. Oh, oh yeah, you're, oh, yeah, you're great, you know. No, can't be that. It has to be sincere. So when you feel that inside yourself, um, let us know, and we can have you get back together and apologize and go on. I actually think it worked very well. It, it said, um, discord is actually not acceptable in our home. In other words, discord, disagreement is acceptable. We can disagree with each other and say, hey, that doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand why you're thinking that. Oh, well, let's talk about that. Discord and um, harsh words, no. That we don't want. And so when you get angry and mad at each other, we're not, this is what the Bible teaches us. Don't just uh, not kill each other, but don't kill each other with words either. <laughs> So, because because words can kill something inside us. Yes. So, so we don't want that in our home. So when that happens, and sometimes it just pops out of nowhere, and maybe they had a bad day at school or whatever, then we got to deal with it. So every day we can deal with those things in an open way. Uh, in the book, I call it um, candor with kindness. Mm -hmm. So candor means being totally honest, totally out front. We don't pretend that things are going well if they're not. You know, if if the two kids, oh, you're doing really great. No, maybe they're not doing really great. Uh, maybe we have to help them understand that this is not an acceptable behavior. And so how do we do that? Well, we listen and we're honest, but then we're kind and loving and let them know how much we love them, how much confidence we have in them that they can make a turnaround and make things better. Um, so... I, I like President Maxwell, uh, Elder Maxwell's remark when he said, we need to give more deserved specific praise. Mm -hmm. not, not undeserved praise. Yeah. That doesn't work. Yeah. We, there's a lot of research on that. Just praising kids and say, oh, you're doing wonderful. When they're doing poorly, that doesn't yeah. help. <laughs> uh, but parents do this a lot. They say, oh, you're just doing so great. And then they find out sometime that they're not doing very well. 
And they say, well, I don't know if I can believe my mother or my father or not, <laughs> because they're not, they're not being honest with me. This is candor thing. Mm -hmm. You've got to be honest, but deserve specific praise. And so we don't pray and just say, oh, you're such a good boy. You're such a good girl. We say, well, the way you just talked to sister so-and-so when we went to their home to visit them, that was so wonderful the way you did that. Uh, because you made sister so-and-so feel comfortable, feel happy. You brought a little joy into her life. And look what you did. It's great. Pointing out these great things that our kids do, emphasizing those and getting rid of the negative. Um, I read this article the other day that said, here's my secret for good parenting. It is don't do for children what they can do for themselves. It's really good. I, I, I really like it because you see these parents who we call them helicopter parents now. And uh, I used to see them at the university. They would call their children five times a day, uh, making sure everything, how did that class go? How did that? I mean, really, you've got to let them grow up. They, they got to be independent. They're becoming, you know, they're adults. Uh, we've got to help them become strong, independent human beings. And so helping them develop that independence is, is a tricky thing. A, a two-year-old we can't let them walk out in the street to help them develop their independence and get run over by a car. Uh, and so gradually we have to give them more uh, freedom to choose and act. You know, Elder Bednar, when he talks about we need to act and not be acted upon, and he's talking about teachers and parents, the same thing. Mm -hmm. Parents can act on their children and inappropriately take over their agency, which isn't good. Uh, that doesn't mean, of course, again, that, that we let children do whatever they please at every moment because we have to help them yeah. get a grip. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but we want them to learn how to act and how to use their agency in a good way and do what the Lord would want them to do. Yes. Another thing every day, I think we need to communicate God's love for them somehow. However we do that, they need to know that God has infinite love and we need to help them feel that through us and directly from the Lord. Thank you so much for this wise advice. I know it's going to, it's going to benefit me, going to benefit a lot of parents, um, especially now, you know, parents are just trying to figure out how can I show love to my child, but exactly. also have yeah. expectations. Um, just like yep. God has given us commandments yep. to help us reach our full potential, but he yep. also gives us unconditional yep. love and that attachment. And, um, and I encourage everyone to read your book. It was so good. Not only for my, my own benefit with my children as a parent, but understanding my role um, in the attachment with heavenly father. So it was wonderful. Thank you so much for being here today and sharing your knowledge. You bet. Thank you for having me, Jessica. You can find this episode's show notes, as well as more information about this topic on our website, www.simplewonders.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and or rating the podcast, or even better, share it with friends or family. If you'd like to further support our work here, you can donate by clicking the link in our profile. 
Thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to discuss our next topic. Until then, go out and work some wonders.